Welcome to A Cup of Fiction, where we invite you to take a delightful break with a cup of your favorite beverage. I'm your host, Rachel, and in each episode, we will embark on a journey into the world of timeless stories from the public domain. These stories may be short, but they are big on impact, designed to captivate your imagination and provide a moment of literary respite. So settle in, sip your coffee or tea, and let the power of storytelling transport you. Before we start our story, I do have one request. Share these stories with your friends and family and help our cozy Coffee Break community grow. Now, let the story begin. Age of Anxiety by Robert Silverberg That morning, when Larry awoke, the robo-nurse was standing at the foot of his bed, smiling benignly. It made no attempt to help him into his house code and give him his morning unworry capsule. Instead, it waited, poised delicately on its humming treads, making no motion toward him. I'm awake, Larry said sourly. Why aren't you functioning? He paused, frowning slightly, and added, And where's my capsule? This morning is different, said the robo-nurse. This is your birthday, young man. It clicked twice, hissed, and rolled forward at last, holding Larry's capsule box in its grips. The box flew open as the robot approached Larry's bed, and the boy saw, within its gleaming interior, three capsules. One, the usual light blue, and the other two, a harsh green and a bright yellow, respectively. What's this? Choose, the robo-nurse said. The trigger word echoed in the room for an instant. Choose, the robot said again, and the repetition unlocked a chain of synapses, unleashed data hypnotically buried in Larry's mind years before, opened doors and brightened dark corridors. Choose. The terrifying word held promise of conflict, pain, anxiety. Larry's fingers quivered with terror for a moment. His hand hovered over the capsule box, wavered for a long second of indecision, while a glistening bead of sweat rolled down his smooth face. His hand grazed the light blue capsule, the capsule that could end this sudden nightmare forever. He fingered its glossy surface for a moment then shook his head and touched the bright yellow one. A shudder of fear ran through him as he did so, and he swept up the green capsule hurriedly and swallowed it. Okay, I've chosen, he said weakly. The robo-nurse, still smiling, closed the capsule box and rolled away. It replaced the box on its shelf and said, You've chosen, Larry, but all you've chosen is postponement of final decision. I know. His voice was dry. I'm not ready yet. But at least I took a step forward. I didn't take the unworry drug. True enough, the robo-nurse said. You can still go in either direction. Back to the unworry of childhood or on to the full anxiety of adult life. Let me think. Larry said. That's why I took the middle capsule, to think this out. Yes, let him think. Larry glanced up and saw the stooped figure of his father at the door of the bedroom. The robo-nurse scuttled away hummingly, and Larry swung around in bed. His father's face, wrinkle-etched, 
baggy-eyed and despairing, stared intently at him. The tired face broke into a feeble grin. So, you've arrived at the age of anxiety at last, Larry. Welcome. Welcome to adulthood. Behind Larry lay an entire 17-year lifetime of unworrying, and behind that lay the three centuries since Koletsky's development of the unworry drug. It was tasteless, easily manufactured, inexpensive, and, despite its marvelous properties, not permanently habit-forming. Adults under the influence of the unworry drug found themselves free from anxiety, from nagging doubts about the future, from any need to worry or grow ulcers or to plan and think ahead. Koletsky's drug made them completely irresponsible. Naturally, the drug was highly popular among a certain group of adults, and for a while, the unworry drug was a considerable source of worry to those still clear-eyed enough to look ahead. Hundreds of thousands of people a year were yielding to this synthetic bliss of the unworry drug, returning to childhood's uninvolvement with the world. Naturally, one of the remaining worriers invented an anti-unworry drug, and with that, a new social alignment came into being. The new tablet provided gradual weaning from the unworry drug. It took four years for the treatment to be completed, but once so treated, a person could never bring himself to touch the Koletsky drug to his lips again. There was an inflexible guarantee against the backsliding built into the bonded hydrocarbons of the drug. This second discovery left the world in possession of two remarkable phenomena, a soothing drug and its antidote, both of 100% efficiency. A new solution now presented itself, a solution whose details were simple and obvious. Give the drug to children. Let them live in a carefree paradise of unworry until the age of 17, at which time Apply the four-year withdrawal treatment. At 21, they were ready to step into the world, unmarked by the horrors of childhood, and equipped to face maturity with a calm, if somewhat blank mind. At the age of 17, then, a choice. Forward or backward. One out of every ten elected to remain in the synthetic dream world forever, thereby removing themselves from a world in which they probably would not have been fit to contend. It was an efficient screening process, eliminating those dreamers who would not have withstood the grind, who would have retreated from reality anyway, would have slipped into neurotic fancies. The remaining 90% chose maturity and reality and anxiety. The light blue capsule was the way back to dreamland. The bright yellow one, the first step in withdrawal. The third capsule was the one most frequently chosen. It was a delayer. Its effect, neither positive nor negative, was to allow its taker's hormones to remain suspended during the period of choice. I've got three days, don't I, Dad? The terms of the situation, implanted in each child's mind long before he could possibly understand the meaning of the words, now stood out sharply in Larry's mind. Larry's father nodded. You took the green one? Yes, was that wrong? It's what I did when I was your age, the older man said. It's the only sensible thing to do. Yes, you have three days to make up your mind. 
you can go on taking the unworry capsules for the rest of your life. Or you can begin withdrawing. You'll have to decide that for yourself. Something fluttery throbbed in the pit of Larry's stomach. It was the first sign of worry, the first agony of decision-making. He remained calm, despite his lifelong use of the Kletsky drug. Its peculiar properties were such that he felt no need of it now. Yet, how did he choose? In three days, how? Uneasily, he wiggled his feet against the cool, yielding surface of the floor for a moment, left the bed, crossed the room, threw open the door. Across the hall, the robo-nurse was ministering to his younger brother. The sleepy-eyed eight-year-old was sitting up in bed while the pseudo-mother washed and dressed him. Larry smiled. His brother's face was calm, relaxed, confident-looking. The lucky devil, he said out loud, he's got nine years of happiness left. You can have the rest of your lifetime, son. Larry turned. His father's voice was flat, without any hint of emotion or any trace of value judgment. I know, Larry said, one way or the other. Later that first day, he dressed and left the house. He crossed the pedestrian walk that led from his block to the next, feeling curiously impermanent in his between-status status. The pedestrian walk was empty except for a wandering vendor struggling along under a load of bubble toys. Larry doubled his pace and caught up with the man, a short, long-nosed individual with worry creases furrowing his thin face. Hello, son. Got your bubble ship yet? He held forth the inflatable vehicle and smiled. A forced, slick smile that faded when the vendor noticed the luminescent armband that told of Larry's status. Oh, a changer, the vendor said. I guess you wouldn't be interested in a bubble ship then. I guess not. Larry took the toy from the vendor's hand anyway and examined it. You make these yourself? Oh, no, not at all. I get them from the distributory. The vendor scowled and shook his head. They keep cutting down my allotment all the time. I don't know how I'll stay in business. Why? Won't there always be a market? There must be something new out, the vendor said gloomily. The young ones just aren't interested in bubble toys these days. Things were good last year, but... He frowned dismally. They're getting worse all the time. Sorry to hear that, Larry sympathized. He felt vaguely disturbed... The bubble toys were vastly popular among his friends, and it was upsetting to learn that the vendor was doing so badly. I wish I could do something for you. Don't worry about me, son. You've got your own problems now. The vendor smiled bleakly at him and turned off the pedestrian walk into the side road that led to the playground, leaving Larry alone. Those were strange words, he thought. He revolved them in his mind, getting used to their feel. You've got your own problems. He looked around at the neat, clean suburb with its attractive little tin-store units and carefully spaced splotches of green garden and shook his head. Problems. To be or not to be. It was a line from an old play he had found taped in his father's library. The play had made no sense to him at the time, but now it troubled him. He made a mental note to ask his father about it sometime in the next two days and walked on.
He wanted to see as much as he could of the adult world before it was time to decide which he preferred. The city was a maze of connected buildings, redoubled avenues, tangled byways, and confusing signs. Larry stood in the heart of the business district, watching the grown-ups zoom past him. Move along, boy, someone said roughly. Larry glanced around, saw a man in uniform scowling at him. The scowl softened into something like pity as the man noticed the badge of Larry's status. Hastily, Larry walked on, moving deeper into the web of the city. He had never been here before. The city was someplace where fathers went during the day, during the pleasant hours of school and playground, and from which fathers came, grimy and irritable in the evening. Larry had never considered going to the city before. Now it was necessary. He had no particular destination in mind, but after 17 years in the unworrying world, he would simply have to investigate the world of anxiety before making up his mind. A car buzzed by suddenly, and he leaped to one side. Out here in the city, cars ran right next to the pedestrian walks, not on flying skyways above them. Larry hugged the side of a building for a moment, recovering his calm. Calm. Stay calm. Make a cool, objective appraisal. But how? Nine out of ten people picked this world. Larry ran his fingers over the rough brick of the building and felt the tension beginning to curdle his stomach. Nine out of ten. Am I the tenth? Am I going to decide to go back to a lifetime of unworry? It seemed so. This dirty, hypertense, overcrowded place seemed boundlessly undesirable. The choice was obvious. But still, he shook his head. After a moment of complete unthought, he let go of the side of the building and took a few hesitant steps forward. He was really frightened now. This was Part 1 of Age of Anxiety by Robert Silverberg. Stay tuned for part two. As your cup empties and the final words of our story linger in the air, we hope you enjoy this brief escape. Join us for the next episode of A Cup of Fiction.